welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. Today on the show, I have Brian McLennan, CEO of Link Investment Management. And I brought Brian on the show to specifically talk about different solutions for employers when looking to reward your employees with different savings plans and retirement options. And with that, here's my interview with Brian. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? I'm great, Jason. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, tell us about what it is you do over at Link. Yeah, absolutely. Happy. Happy to do that. Uh, Link Investment Management is a platform and accompanying services that manage employer-sponsored compensation plans. So if you are considering everything outside of a salary that you might get uh, as a form of compensation from an employer, uh, Link manages uh, a, a number of these compensation plans. So we break them down into three buckets. Uh, the first being group savings plans and retirement plans, the second being equity plans, and then the last one is uh, health benefit plans. So okay. we consolidate and aggregate all these offerings onto a single dashboard and a single platform and accompanying services to administer and support those plans. Excellent. So we're going to, uh, you have a number of kind of investment platforms here. We're going we're gonna to talk about them all individually, just one off at a time. But before we get there, let's talk just generally, like what is the motivation for an employer to basically set up one of these plans or any of them for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. So employers are, and you know, I've heard you mention this on your podcast with other uh, guests a number of times, employers are looking to attract, reward, and retain. They're looking to attract the best talent, retain them, and reward them for their service and motivate them to be best team and employees that they can. So that's a key motivation uh, of employers. And typically what we see in the genesis of the company you know, startups, if, if we take them into account or consideration, is they get up and running. Probably one of the first things that they need to do is get some sort of payroll set up. They look at some HR management, and then they would look at a health benefit. Once they reach a certain level of maturity, and that, can, that doesn't necessarily correlate to the number of employees, but perhaps more on how they need to compete for the top talent, they'll start to introduce uh, other benefits as well. And, and typically what you'll see is uh, group retirement savings and equity plans as part of overall compensation for the employee. Excellent. So let's talk about each of these plans and we'll talk about the onboarding at the end of it. And there's a number of them because each of them is a little bit, they're similar, but different. So let's start off with the very simple group registered retirement savings plan. So group RSP, basically talk about what that looks like and talk about implementation. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a tiny little bit of background here. Uh, the genesis of Link, we're headquartered in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, another significant fintech in Calgary is uh, Solium Capital. And Solium uh, last year sort of sold to Morgan Stanley. I was involved as an outside consultant uh, with Solium for a little while. And uh, there were some other individuals that were involved with the, the company as well. And the genesis, mm -hmm. of, genesis of Link started in 2015, where we saw what Solium did in the success of uh, outsourced equity plans. And then we looked at the space and we saw that in group retirement savings space, there was a, a significant opportunity to develop further uh, efficiencies in the offering of those plans. So whether that was the ongoing administration, onboarding digitally, presenting dashboards to member, being able uh, to communicate with members, we saw a gap there and an opportunity there. So 
one of our first products that we launched was the group RRSP. And from an employer's perspective, what were they looking to accomplish in that offering? Obviously, one is the attractive board retained. They need to offer this benefit, but it needs to be simple and straightforward. So through what we've built, we make it very simple and very easy for members to onboard. The user experience is great. And for administrators to run these plans, that's an excellent experience as well with a very robust uh, dashboard back off office function. So that's that's available to uh, the plan sponsor, yeah. but really, you know, they're looking well, to- Well, I mean, let me stop there. Let me just say, like, I mean, the old way of doing things was incredibly tedious and laborsome, right? Because, I mean, you know, let's imagine a large-scale enterprise that has over 100 employees. That's setting up at least 100 different accounts, right? Like, that is that is a lot of paperwork that that is involved. And back in the day, and there's a lot, it's not always there are a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of room for error when it comes to paperwork. So digitizing that entire experience is a huge, huge benefit to uh, to efficiency there. Okay, so let's talk about specifically what's involved with, with uh, what's, it's all about the group RSP, what's involved there. Yeah, so um, essentially we will work with the employer, with the sponsor to understand what their needs are, right? So what are you trying to accomplish in this offering? Typically, and I've heard this mentioned in your podcast as well, uh, the employer employee relationship has a paternal nature to it. And there's been several examples, you know, we've, we've onboarded some clients where they've had someone pass early on and uh, it was very unexpected come to realize that there's really nothing there for the family after the fact and it was really motivating uh, from a paternal perspective for the employer to put something in place to make sure that the employees were looked after so in setting that up we really try to understand what their motivation are their motivations are and what the demographic of the employee base is right what's the most suitable investment is it a longer-term investment uh, in the DC pension plan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Is it sort of midterm based in the group RSP or is the demographic you know, very young, perhaps lower earning uh, employees that might, might be best suited for a TFSA? So we've got the ability and plan design to sort of work with the employer to ensure that there's a, an appropriate contribution, perhaps into one or a couple of those different offerings. Um, but the group RSP, essentially, we once we set that up, it's a very simple process, and we typically work backwards from the launch date with the with the plan sponsor when they want to roll this out to employees. We work backwards from there. Um, usually, a couple of days before that launch, we have a webinar. Generally, only takes about fifteen minutes, and I'll get more into that uh, in a little bit why it's so efficient that way. But it takes about fifteen minutes. We run that a couple of days before we launch the plan. Usually, a week before we launch the plan, we do the training for the plan administrator to understand how they will do contributions, be able to put members on leave, change addresses, add new members to the plan. It's really simple and straightforward. And that's an ongoing support role that our team plays for the company administrator. And then, yeah, that, that kind of led up to the initial conversations, uh, evaluating the needs of the sponsor and making sure that the plan design is, is appropriate for what they're trying to accomplish and for their employee base. So... I'll tell you, from my experience, I'm of the opinion that the entire group space is a bit of a mess. There are obligations that an employer has, and oftentimes they are not paid enough attention to, and that potentially introduces liability. So talk to me about, you're setting up a group RSP. What are the obligations that the employer has towards the plan? Right. So the employer has to do a number of things, and and uh, you know, we typically work through that through an employer schedule that we do with the with the sponsor of the plan. They're responsible for a number of things. You know, the basics of who's eligible for the plan. When are they eligible? What is the contribution? So is the employer going to match? Typically, you see between 4 and 5% uh, as an average match, match for 100% of the employer contribution. 
in-group RSP plans, but they're also responsible for investment product that the members are participating in. And you mentioned the word uh, liability. So there's a, there is a fiduciary liability uh, to the plan sponsor around ensuring that the investments that the members are going to be able to participate in or invest in are appropriate and mm-hmm. suitable. Yeah, there's also an entire uh, list of guidelines called the Capital Accumulation Plan Guidelines that I highly advise everyone in this space take a look at, but too often they're ignored, specifically around monitoring. Like a, a, the, the employer is supposed to have some form of like annual review of all this. And more often than not, these things get set and forget, which is, which is not, not good. The other point I want to make quickly before we move off group RSPs, you mentioned like who qualifies and when they qualify for and to what degree. Let's just get this in everybody's head quickly. You cannot pick and choose. This is a, you know, that's called, that's called discrimination within a plan. And I've often had people say, well, like, yeah, I want to offer it to, you know, these people because they've been with me a long time or they've done whatever. And maybe this guy, cause he's really good and he started, but I don't want to offer it to everyone. Well, it's like, well, hold on. You have to create categories and classes. And if you don't, you basically, if two people look the same and one's not entitled to the benefit and the other one is, that's discrimination. You can't do that. So treat every, you have to, you have to learn that this is kind of a, build this system to reward people around certain criteria. Typically job role or longevity, you can have different levels of match rates or contribution rates on your behalf, but you have to offer it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You make this available to everybody that's uh, within the organization. Now there might be some levers that you can pull to, to customize it. And that's, one of the great things about the flexibility of our, of our platform is for us to, let's say, have tiering, where if you reach five years of uh, participation within the firm or 10 years, there can be a, a, an automatic increase in the employer matching percentage. Another interesting piece around that is something called auto-escalation, where the actual employee contribution will escalate uh, at a certain milestone, typically number of years of service been very successful in the U.S. in group plans, and we're just starting to see this. Save more tomorrow? Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. A, I'm an enormous fan of Save More Tomorrow, and I've been dying for people to actually do it in Canada. And for those who don't know it, it was one of the Richard Thaler's, uh, one of the reasons this guy won the Nobel Prize, was to basically say, if you ask people, should they save more? The answer is almost universally yes. If the answer, if you ask them, can you save more today? The answer is almost no. But can, would you be willing to save more tomorrow? So what it does is, is that it incrementally increases or takes a percentage of the annual salary increase you would normally be entitled to and puts that into the retirement savings. So every year, you slowly save a greater and greater percentage of your earnings. And because it's a small increment, you're not noticing it. But over time, just profound impacts that this thing can have. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And another thing uh, as well that really empowers that that mindset is auto-enrollment. And we can talk about that uh, when we get yep. to our DC well, Yeah. So, I mean, that's the other thing, right? So auto-enrollment and default options. So now we're going into one of my favorite topics, which is behavioral finance, which is they looked at participation rates of who were at, who's actually signing up for with these plans. And of course, people get busy and lazy or don't understand it or intimidated by it. And they put it aside. And then next thing you know, it's been 20 years and they haven't taken advantage of this. Well, the better option is, oh, guess what? You got onboarded. You also got this set up for you already. End of story, right? Like that it was a great, much greater success rate. And the other one was the default. Like when the default is cash, some people never move it from cash, right? And you know, decades worth of compounding is lost. When the default is either a target date portfolio based on their age or a balance fund or whatever it is, suddenly they're invested in the market. And if they want to change it, they can, but it involves effort. And man, it's the, the, the differences just those three things have done to retirement savings in the US is just profound. And unfortunately, not, not fully adopted in Canada, but- Yeah, I, th- I think we're getting there. And we're certainly behind trying to push these sorts of uh, agendas forward. Um, but do you know why? Better- do you know why? Why is that? It's all about incentives. Do you know why they're more common in the U.S. than here? No, tell me. 
because there are tests in the US regarding high income earners and senior management that say that they can only a certain percentage of the overall plan, only a certain percentage of it can be allocated to them. So therefore, if senior managers and owners want to make the most of their retirement plan, they got to make sure that their employees are making the most of their own retirement plan. And that doesn't exist in Canada. It's laissez-faire. It's do whatever you want, right? So the American managers were motivated to make sure that people took advantage of retirement plans and it has worked because they've used all these tricks to benefit their employees. In Canada, eh, you might want to start thinking the same way. That's <laughs> yes, very, uh, very good point. Yeah. And I, I was aware of that, that there needs to be a threshold that uh, is met uh, where their percentage can't uh, exceed a, a certain amount on the, exactly. on the entire plan. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that speaks to a number of different things, right? And you touched on it as well. Employers are concerned with a handful of things beyond the attract reward routine. Once a plan is up and running, they want to make sure, one, are my employees invested appropriately? So what's the suitability? It's great in some plans if there's a broad-based balanced fund that the members can participate in, but you can't, you can't assume that the 20-year-old employee is going to have similar investment objectives that someone who's very close to retirement. So while it's perhaps a little bit better than uh, an employee having to self-select the investment options, it's certainly not suitable from a perspective of making sure that the age of the employee and the investment timeline is taken into consideration. Target date funds are, are somewhat better, but what we've built is, you know, in, in essence, we have digital advice built into it. So part of the digital onboarding, digital KYC is the member goes through the questionnaire and it's very much the robo aspect of the product. So Part of Link, uh, we have a subsidiary that's a discretionary portfolio manager. So we built our robo. We offer low-cost, passive ETF index tracking portfolio that offers 57 different portfolios. And, and depending on how you answer the questionnaire, you'll end up in one of five bands, but with appropriate weightings on 10 to 12 different investment products. So the suitability of the investments for the employees is really important, right? You want to make sure that one, employees aren't self-selecting. So we always prescribe the portfolio to the member. And two, that it's an appropriate investment based on the age of the employee and their goals and objectives. Excellent. I mean, so I guess we kind of got to one of the things I was I was uh, going to hit on, but you know, we were talking we're going to talk about best practices when setting these things up, and I think so much of it has to do with the way the platform's designed in order to basically ensure success. And I'll, I'll pick on the insurance companies who are who basically lead the way in in terms of market share in Canada on this. And they're a Chinese buffet, like quite honestly, like it's like whatever you want, and it doesn't, you know, you go to the Mandarin, you can get it's hilarious. You can get you know roast beef and and uh, and Yorkshire pudding. And then pizza and then pasta, right? Like it's literally, you know, the Chinese buffet is the every all world buffet, right? So there it's like, oh, you want single portfolios? We got those. You want you want the target date? We got those. You want ETFs? We got you know, index funds? We got those. And then it's like, it's like here, choose. And maybe there's a couple of tools to say, are you the kind of person who wants to direct your stuff? Go here. Are you the kind of person who like, and it's just basically analysis paralysis or just, you know, the, the parody of the paradox of choice. The more choice you give people, the more likely they're going to screw something up. And sure enough, you know, we've seen all kinds of data that supports that. Create a nice streamlined system is to say, you know, the default is I'm talking you to do this. Here's the portfolio you should be in. Click yes. If you want to change it, you can, but now you got to do these other steps. I mean, like someone I know, uh, Randy Cass over at Nest, he, uh, Nest uh, Wealth, who's a robo advisor in Canada, he basically talked about some conversations with the regulars, like, are you considering this? And he's like, well, we're not considering that, but we can do this. And it's like, but at the end of the day, how many more things do you want to consider before we end up at a modern portfolio theory diversified low cost ETF portfolio? Like, at the end of the day, we're going to end up with the same one of seven different portfolios. So, how many different factors do you want involved? 
So anyway, let's, that's, that's besides the point. So let, let's move on. We have a lot of different account types to cover, and I want to make sure we at least discuss the nuances between them all. So talk to me about defined contribution pension plans and how they differ in terms of obligation to the employee, how they're different. They look very similar to group of retirement, but how are they different and how they specifically differ in terms of the employer's obligation? Yeah, great. Glad we got to this one first, or uh, as the next one. It is. It does look similar from the, on the outside to a group RSP. One difference that's significant to the employee is that the funds are locked into retirement. So there is no opportunity for withdrawal for even if it is uh, for a home buyers plan or anything like that. Those funds are locked in. There are a few exemptions where you can apply to the provincial uh, superintendent to get an exemption, longevity concerns, those sorts of things if you're critically ill. But typically those are locked in. So that's one big difference. The degree from the sponsor, the employer's perspective of fiduciary liabilities is significant. You mentioned earlier the annual review. There's also a number. So that, that, that has to happen. You're running essentially a pension committee to sponsor a defined contribution pension plan. So that, that, that has a lot of uh, responsibility attached to it. There's typically costs in both hard costs and time attached to that, but it is uh, incumbent upon the employer to run this pension committee. And then there's, you mentioned it earlier, the, the CAPSA guidelines, so the Canadian Association of Pension Supervisory Authorities that publish a number of guidelines. I think there's uh, at least nine plus a number of supporting documents that provide guidance on how these plans need to be run. How do you communicate with members? What are some of the prudent standards, fund holder agreements? What do you need to do to run these capital accumulation plans? So there's, there's significant requirements around the fiduciary liability to the plan sponsor that makes these plans a lot more complicated to run. Now, as a result, you start to see the participants in these types of plans are of scale, right? You're you're generally seeing small or medium enterprise up to enterprise-sized companies that really take advantage of that. One thing that Link has done that is unique is we, we're both the administrator of and the sponsor of a multi-employer DC pension plan. So in Alberta, they did some revisions to the Pension Act and regulations in 2015, and they, they're really trying to set up a vehicle where small and medium-sized private businesses can participate in a singular yet multi-employer pension plan and really mitigate a lot of the overhead and fiduciary liability to participate in these plans. So really, as, an, as a participating employer in this uh, multi-employer DC plan, you just simply join as a participating employer and the members become eligible. We are able to take advantage of things like auto enrollment in our plan. So if the member does nothing, they're automatically enrolled unless they opt out within 30 days. They'll go into an appropriate target date fund because we know their age and off they go. The, the employer has to make a minimum 1% contribution of employee salary and they're off to the races. So we're ensuring that members are, are like you, you mentioned earlier, are participating and starting to save in these, uh, these investment plans. So yeah. you're right. The, the DC pension plan funds are locked into the employee and there's a significantly higher degree of fiduciary liability to the plan sponsor. There's filings that need to be made with the uh, superintendents of pension. There's a, a number of other reports that need to be filed with the uh, superintendents of pension and the CRA. So the bar is raised to, to run these plans, but the purpose of these plans is for retirement. So they're ensuring that members are saving appropriately so that they're going to be able to have successful retirement. So we, we see the things like multi-employer DC pension plan as excellent vehicles to ensure that upon retirement, public pension schemes like CPP are going to be under a lot of pressure. Um, these employer-sponsored plans really open up an opportunity 
for Canadians and employees to save and be ready for retirement. Yeah, it's interesting. And I say the that locking in has such an impact because the problem is, is that especially in the group world, a lot of people treat these things like bank accounts, right? It gets to a certain level, they cash it out. Oh, they've got a financial need, they cash it out. Like whatever it is, they look at it as a, as a pool of capital that they can always touch if something goes wrong. And then of course, pay no little to no attention to the tax implications. I've literally had people take it out to pay credit card bills, lose half the money and to eliminate a credit card bill as opposed to, because they didn't want to put it on the house consolidation loan. Like it was, anyway, the point is, is that it doesn't, if you look at, I'm sure if we look at data on group RSP rates versus uh, DC uh, pension plans and the outcomes, I'm willing to bet anything that the DC pension plans have substantially better outcomes because of that locking in provision. When you can't touch it, can't touch it. it just has to be there until retirement, right? And that also comes with basically limitations on money coming out later on too, right? So you can't just all take it in one shot. So far better solution, but as we said, there's a burden. There's a financial burden. There's a regulatory burden. There's all kinds of burdens there that people may not want to undertake. So you have something available in Alberta, which is a multi-employer DC plan. Tell me what that is and how it works. Yeah, so essentially it, it, it is a defined contribution pension plan. And really the structure of that is uh, Link is both the the sponsor and the administrator of that plan. So any company of two employees and greater can can join multi-employer pension plan. We call it the Alberta Link pension plan or the ALP. All they need to do to, to participate in this is uh, sign a participation agreement and come up with an employer schedule, you know, who's eligible when, and what's the contribution that the employer is going to make to match the employee contribution. We provide all the uh, plan documents and the member guides, the administrator guides, but really it's straightforward. So we remove a lot of the overhead. The employer doesn't have to run pension committee. We look after the filings of the AIR and other documents that need to go to the pension. We do a, an annual review with the participating employer that's in it, but we look after all the heavy lifting. Typically, a smaller company, if they did want to offer a single employer DC plan, they'd look to a consultant to help them run their pension committee. They'd look to the consultant to help them with the selection of the investment manager. Link, as the sponsor of this multi-employer plan, looks after all of those responsibilities. Mm. So we're really lowering the, the barrier of entry for small and medium-sized businesses, including private businesses, participate and have their partic- uh, employees participate in two DC pension plans. Excellent. I mean, handy, uh, very handy. We can uh, hopefully see that in other provinces uh, at some point. So- well, it, it's, it's available to uh, employees. Uh, we just actually onboarded a client. It's an international manufacturing company with a Canadian subsidiary employees in uh, Ontario and British Columbia. So we had to do some plan amendments with uh, ISRA, the pension oversight uh, regulatory body in Ontario. Actually, Alberta and British Columbia have harmonized uh, pension legislation. So whatever we can do in Alberta, we can typically do in in British Columbia. But it is open to all those employees. So it's not just limited to uh, Alberta companies and Alberta employees. So moving on, we have the group tax-free savings accounts. I'm guessing those largely work just like the group RSP plans and their structure, just that you're going into a TFSA and therefore it's after-tax money? Exactly correct, right? And so that's it. You know, these are important levers that we can pull when we're working with a plan sponsor in terms of plan design. What are the objectives? Do you want to make a you know, 2% contribution to match uh, an employee contribution in the long-term 
defined contribution retirement savings plan. And perhaps, you know, there may not be a match in the TFSA, but it's a vehicle that the employer offers alongside a longer term investment or some short term goal savings and objectives that an employee might have. Through what we offer, they may see uh, lower fees. And then the contributions are going to be coming off payroll. So they'll be in that mode of making a regular contribution into the TFSA alongside a longer term investment or a midterm like the group RSP or the DC pension. So we can pull these different levers as part of the plan design to make sure that the, the plans that are offered to the employees that the sponsor is giving are, are appropriate. Yeah. So let's move on to the next one, deferred profit sharing plan. Now this one looks very similar but it's kind of almost like, I like to say it's almost an in-between the DC plan and the group RSP because there are some handcuffs that come with this one. That's right. So oftentimes the DPSP, one of the things that an employer might be looking for in their retirement savings plans that they're offering the employees vesting. So in a DC pension plan in Alberta with our ALP, employer contributions vest immediately. In group RSP plans, employer contributions vest immediately, although in some plans there are provisions where if the member withdraws, the employer may suspend their contributions for a period of time as a means of discouraging the ATM-like treatment of this investment vehicle. The DPSP has, it's a plan that needs to be uh, registered with the trustee, so there is some setup costs annual maintenance costs for running these plans, but essentially they allow the employer to have their contribution vest for up to two years. So that's something if an employer is concerned about churn, where they're going to invest alongside their employee in this retirement savings plan, that they don't walk across the street in a couple months and, and take that investment with them. The DPSP allows them to kind of hold on to that contribution that they're making alongside the employee's contribution for up to two years. And while they're participating in the plan, uh, the employee doesn't have access to that piece as well. So that's kind of the key part of the DPSP is that the employers have the ability to make sure that their contribution is best. So moving on, we get to something that's a little less familiar for most people, because uh, this is typically, was traditionally typically only offered by large scale enterprises, but now you're kind of opening up the market just like Solium did. Employee share purchase plans. Tell me about how those work and how you facilitate them. These plan sponsors looking to create a sense of ownership within their employee base, right? So one of the ways you can do that is by spinning up an employee share purchase plan where you're offering up a, a piece of equity within the company does require that if you're a private company, you need to be doing a business valuation to really understand what the value of, uh, of that piece is. But essentially, you're offering up equity and ownership of the company to your employees. It can be set up in a number of different ways where the employee can purchase equity on a regular basis, much like they would contribute into a retirement savings plan. And then the employer has the flexibility of perhaps uh, offering some sort of matching on the equity investment in the company to the employees. So they end up owning a piece of the company and it really promotes that spirit of ownership within the organization. So we set that plan up, we administer it, we ensure that the allocation of the units is appropriate and we look after all the reporting. And then all of that can be presented to the members on the dashboard. I, you know, that's something we didn't really talk about much earlier, but the plan sponsor is really looking to illustrate their total comp the employer is looking to illustrate total cost to the employee. So if you can display that all in one picture, there's an advantage to that. The employee mm -hmm. can see, oh, hey, I'm participating in the defined contribution pension plan and, and the value of those assets is X. And I'm participating in the TFSA and the 
value of those assets or why. I've also got a stake in the company through uh, an ESPP. My holding is currently Zen. So you're able to show that on a single dashboard. Members can click on those plans and drill down for more details, for example, to see the holdings in one of the savings plans or to see the number of units in uh, the SPP. Mm -hmm. So we're able to do that. And for the employee, it's really convenient to be able to to log on and be able to see that big picture all this way uh, in one place. So next one you have, I'm going to have someone come on and talk about this one in greater depth, but just uh, we'll have you do a superficial review of it. But the health spending plans or health spending accounts, tell me about those. Yeah. So uh, an HSA or health spend account is is really a, a prepaid health and dental and, and vision program where an employee just or an employer sort of makes a, a lot to a certain amount of money annually for an employee to make claims on. So it's essentially administered by, not administered, but the regulations on what's eligible and what's not eligible is defined by CRA. So it's very clear guidelines on what's eligible and what's ineligible. But let's say you want to uh, either provide a more traditional sort of health and dental plan from uh, an insurance company, an alternative, and one that seems to work quite well in, in smaller companies as they're starting up is the HSA. So instead of buying plan that hopefully covers the needs of most of your employees, you really just pass on that responsibility for selecting the right plan to the employee by saying, hey, you've got $3,000 or $5,000 to spend in an HSA annually as you make claims for dental vision and health requirements, you just simply submit those and we'll reimburse you for those claims. And then you can get up to that threshold and then you've kind of maximized the the health benefit that the plan sponsor, the employer offers. Sometimes the what the unused portion can roll over into the next year, but that's all defined in the plan text of running that plan. You can have that use it or lose it, or you can have a rollover. And those HSA accounts can be fairly large. You can get those, you know, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. That's something that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that's you know, a lot of dental work. If you need it. Yep. Well, as two kids that have braces, I understand that world. That's where everybody <laughs> goes first. Excellent. So, I mean, if I had to sum it up, quite honestly, is that this has been traditionally a largely paperwork intensive, heavy lifting structure or issue in the past, right? And it's also been, for lack of a better term, in most cases, a lot of small accounts, right? The average account, especially when starting off, starts off at zero, right? which most advisors cringe because there's no money to be made on that for a very long time. And that's not to say we should only be focusing on money, of course. It's just basically, you know, the realities of the economics of it is the value of setting it up and going through all this stuff is, is minimal initially. So what you've done is you've created a highly digitized, integrated process for implementation of all these with as little heavy lifting as possible and with the number of behavioral tweaks built in that hopefully will improve outcome is what it sums it up to. Absolutely. Through the platform, we've driven efficiencies to scale this and roll this out and administer it on an ongoing basis very effectively. And through that whole exercise, the user experience for the members and the administrators is significantly improved, right? You're not uh, chasing paperwork around. And, you know, we kind of, we look at those, those sorts of things as table stakes, right? Like a digital onboarding, digital KYC, robust administration and record keeping. Really, it's a platform with a rules engine attached to it that says, what type of plan is it? Is it a savings plan or an equity plan? Okay, it's a savings plan. What, what kind? It's a TFSA. Okay, we'll treat it this way and then have the reporting engine generate all the appropriate reports, empowering the individuals to update uh, their information, their contribution amounts on the portal uh, to be able to do that very easily, easily and effectively. So we make that very simple and straightforward for participants in these plans. Well, Brian, thank you very much for taking the time and where can people find you? 
you can go to uh, our website. It's LIM, as in Link Investment Management Solutions. There is no .com uh, on the end of that. Or you can email me, and it's not first name at uh, URL like uh, most fintechs. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think that alias does so. Okay, there you go. I was going to say, so you, you basically wanted to avoid the spamming people like myself. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can send it to Brian at uh, lim.solutions and uh, that'll find me. Excellent. <laughs> or B. McLennan. All right. Thank you very much and take care. All right. Thanks very much. So that was uh, financial planning for Canadian business owners for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. And I highly encourage you, if you are in the group space, to take a look at their solution because it is far more streamlined, simplified, and easier to work with than many of the alternatives out there. So as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 